Thank you for joining us for today's message. We're always encouraged to know how God is using this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email to amen at imtheexchange.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at imtheexchange.com. Doing this will help us to bless others and bring messages to you each week. Please take a moment and prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Thank you so much. Good morning, everyone. Matter of fact, uh, just before all of this uh, pandemic hit, I was actually scheduled to be here right at the end of March. And of course, that all went to pot. (laughs) Everything shifted and changed. And so uh, I was scheduled to be in El Campo this next weekend. And I called Pastor Jared. I said, you know, Texas opened up before everybody else because, you know, you're Texas. (laughs) Ain't nobody going to tell Texas what to do. And uh, and so uh, I said, hey, I'm already going to be there. They're actually paying for my flight. So this is actually one you, you, you know, he's going to save you money. He's like, I'm in, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll do that right there. And so I always enjoy being able to stop by. I'm heading uh, just on the other side of Austin for services tonight and tomorrow night. And then uh, be back in the area for a couple of days. And then I'll be in El Campo and the Magnolia and then fly back home. And so uh, it's great. This is my first time back other than doing video teachings. I've had a few churches I was scheduled with that had me go up to the church that we base out of with a green screen and preach. It just, it's just not the same. And so it is, this is my first time with an audience in two and a half months. And you know, when a preacher ain't preached for two and a half months, you might be here all afternoon, but no, we won't. I promise. (laughs) I promise we'll let you out here at a decent time. But uh, just quick uh, for those of you, I know many of you already have uh, purchased my book. Uh, and blessed our ministry with that, as well as I've got four USBs back there with a bunch of teachings. Uh, if you haven't availed yourself to that, please just stop by the table, uh, say hello, and grab one of those. Also, I do have back there also packets. Uh, if you've never sponsored a child with Compassion International, right now especially, because of everything that happened, a lot of people lost their jobs, so many kids that were taken care of, because of course when things get tight, those are kind of luxury things that we do to help and be a blessing. And when things get tight, people can't pay their bills, then they're not sponsoring children in third world countries. And so uh, I know I got, I got a message that said, you know, man, we really need right now. And it's really not new kids being sponsored, it's kids that have been dropped. And so if that's something you can do, if you've ever thought about it, I love compassion. One thing I love about them is 82.5% of everything you send in monthly goes directly to the child. Uh, they're a $900 million a year nonprofit, and they function on 17.5% overhead, which is unheard of. They're, they're extremely wise with their money, and they're transforming the lives of children all over the world. So I got a bunch of packets. You can actually choose the child. If you haven't done that, please do. It's something I believe in big time. I love being able to go into churches and minister and say, man, we had lives changed, but we also had like 10 kids taken off poverty on that Sunday. That, that, that for me, I, I, I love that because that's something we should be about because it's actually making a difference in the world because you're transforming a life. It's not just talking Christianity, it's doing Christianity. And I think if there's anything we've learned over the last two and a half months or so is it's not about going to church, it's about us being the church. And and that's that's what this whole thing is about. Thank God we're able to come to a building and gather because I think we miss the community and we miss the fellowship and, and there's definitely need for that, but it's about us being the church as we actually demonstrate this. We don't just talk about it. We actually, uh, we actually go with Nike and do it. All right, we, we, we get stuff done. We, we hooper Nikea. We, 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 we get those things finished and accomplished. So, well, let me get to my assignment for this morning. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2. And I want to share something with you. What's interesting is God had placed this on my heart. It's what I was going to preach when I was going to be with you in March, and I shared it for the first time at the end of February because it was something that was just just fresh in me, and it's so relevant uh, to where we are, and it was interesting that I was preaching it a month before all of this hit uh, because over the last two and a half months especially, this has come to a forefront uh, in people's minds, and I'll show you when we get there. Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse Number nine, Hebrews two, verse nine. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. So how many did Jesus die for? All, all right. He tasted death for everyone. For it was fitting for him, 
for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them his brothers, saying, I will declare your name to my brothers in the midst of the assembly, the ecclesia of the church. I will sing praise to you, and again, I will put my trust in him, and again, uh, here am I in the children whom God has given me. Now, pay attention here to the next few verses. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he, Jesus, might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all of their lifetime subject to bondage or slavery. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brothers that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation, expediation, which is what it should have been, for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he's able to and to minister aid to those who are tempted. Now, now this passage in, in Hebrews, the thing uh, that I, I, we're, we're going to talk about two main things, but the thing I really want to put a focus on is that Jesus and why Jesus came. Uh, if you were to ask me just eight years ago, why did Jesus come? I would have given you the normal Western American evangelical fundamentalist response. Well, he came he came to forgive us for our sins. Uh, why did Jesus have to go to the cross? Why did he have to die? Well, he, he went to the cross because without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. And so he had to go to the cross to forgive us of our sins. The problem with that line of thought, and it's not that it's wrong, it's a partial truth. Uh, but if that's your whole focus on the gospel, then Jesus muddied all that up because Jesus was forgiving people of their sins before he went to the cross. I mean, Jesus shows up, and he would walk up to a man laying, laying by a pool, and he says, take up your bed and walk. Your sins are forgiven you. And the Pharisees are like, what? Only God can forgive sin. How can you forgive someone's sin? He hadn't gone to the cross yet. And if the purpose for the cross was for the forgiveness of sins, then how could he forgive sins before the cross? It's because God could forgive anybody anytime he wants. Even under the old covenant, you were forgiven of your sins. They weren't taken away. They were covered. But you were still forgiven of those sins by just bringing an animal sacrifice. And so it's not that God couldn't forgive sin. We quote all the time Hebrews that says, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. But we don't read the verses before it. And the verses before it say the law demanded this. God didn't demand blood because he's not a bloodthirsty molech. Come on, all right. He, he's not. He's not some. He's not a vampire. Okay. He doesn't say, "I need blood. Just give me blood." I mean, he's not Dracula. Okay. God didn't need the blood. The law demanded blood, and he needed to deal and fulfill the law. And so, blood had to be shed to deal with the law. But the difference is this: is it says that he came to destroy, render powerless. Some verses say, some translations, the works of the devil who had the key of death so that he would free all of us who our whole lives had been slaves to the fear of death. So what's the main reason Jesus came? This passage makes it extremely clear to me. He came to remove from us the fear of death. If there's anything that has run rampant over the last two and a half months, Man, it, it's the fear of death. I mean, people freaking out. I, I, I mean, you know, I'm mean, afraid to leave their home. They're like wondering what's going to happen, and people are afraid to die. I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever sat with someone that is dying, and those who have awakened to this amazing sonship and awakened to the finished work, and they've received Christ, they have experienced sozo salvation when they're at their deathbed there's this incredible peace there's there's a worshiping there, there's something that happens when they cross over but someone who is not awakened to the reality someone who has not believed in christ who's not experienced this great salvation there's fear there's intrepidation they don't know what's going to happen there's this incredible peace because once you have come to this reality and you've believed, you realize something that is extremely powerful. You don't actually die. See, this was the, the, the beauty, the beautiful message of the gospel in the New Testament was that you get to have eternal life. 
All right, that actually all that happens when you leave this physical body is you actually don't die. You're actually more alive now than you've ever been. That's why whenever, whenever I've been at funerals, one thing that's irritated me for years is how much we talk about people in past tense. Why are you talking about them in past tense? They're not dead. They're more alive now than they've ever been. They just transitioned from one realm of reality to another realm of reality. Now they're, we're compassed about with a great cloud of witnesses. They're worshiping with us here this morning. Do you realize that? you realize that those that have crossed over don't just leave? They don't go up. They don't go down. They just transition. They literally go through a veil. It's the matrix. That there's an invisible world that is holding up this visible world. And you literally go from one dimension into another. It's not about up. It's not about down. It's about through. That, that we shed this body and that we don't die. The gospel was increasing like crazy in the first hundred years of the church. Because their message was Jesus' message. Jesus standing at Caesarea Philippi. He's standing at the gate of Hades. The gates of Sheol. The gates of hell. He's literally, it's literally a place over in Israel. He's standing there and he says, Says the gates of Hades, the gates of the grave. Listen, he's not talking about the gate of a burning, fiery place. All right, because that, that, that first, uh, first of all, there's no gates of hell. I've heard my whole life, my man, the gates of hell have been after me this week. Gates don't move. All right, I'm sorry, but the gates of hell have not been chasing you down. Gates were to keep people in. And the Jews believed that when their Messiah would come, he would bust through the gate of Hades, the gate of Sheol at Caesarea Philippi, go down into Sheol, into the grave, mistranslated as hell, and then resurrect those that were there and raise them from the dead. Well, the truth is Jesus is standing there and that actually happened not too long after he declared that and it was a messianic understanding. What he's saying is the gates of the grave shall not prevail against the church. In other words, even when they kill you, you don't die. You don't die. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. And he said what Jesus came to do is he came to remove from us who had been slaves to one thing, to the fear of death. Now, see, the difference here is this passage is talking about two mindsets. He's talking about sons, because Jesus came to bring many sons to glory. I preached that here a few years ago. But he also came to free those who had been enslaved to a mindset of the fear of death. I remember over 10 years ago, I heard uh, Danny Silk make this statement. Uh, Danny's, Danny's books are phenomenal, but Danny made this statement at a conference I was at. He said, there has been a war for thousands of years between love and fear. That ultimately the root, uh, the root of what we're dealing with right now in our culture over the last two or three weeks has been Fear. People fear what they don't understand. We, people are prejudiced out of fear. People respond to people out of fear. We attack others out of fear. And, 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 and there's something about fear that is so powerful. That's why we're told 365 times through Scripture to fear not. There's one for every day. Right. All right, he's saying, listen, stop being afraid because perfect love removes all fear. And so fear... Fear is a huge root cause of a lot of things that we deal with. Um, I've spent the last 10 years probably reading and stuttering, studying more. I, I spent the first 20 years of my uh, really ministry studying more the charismatic because that's what I am. That's what I'm a part of. I still embrace the charismatic, the Pentecostal. I love the gifts. I love all that. But for the last 10 years, I've actually been reading and stuttering saying stuttering <laughs> studying I am stuttering right now just studying I need to stop just saying studying just stop that right there it's been two and a half months give me give me some grace but studying more eastern orthodoxy and actually more the middle eastern thought when it comes to scripture reading things through the lens of actually how the original hearers would understand it. And the first 300 years of the church, the things they taught and believed is very different than the things that we've been taught. We've been taught what is called a Western mindset. That's more the Catholic church and the Protestant church was actually called the church of the West. The church of the East was the first 300 years of the, of the church, the patristic fathers, the, the early church. And they put their focus not as much on the cross and the forgiveness of sins. They put their focus on the resurrection. 
And the reason is, is because the Western church, they, they begin to teach, and, 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 and not wrongly so. I'm a both-and person. I'm a both-and, not an either-or. And normally people are this or that. The truth is, I see the truth in both of them. But the Western church saw the problem that Adam brought into the world was a sin problem. And so when the problem is sin, then all the preaching is about sin. All the preaching is about behavior. And I don't know about you, but if you're raised in the church, and especially down here in the Bible Belt, most of the sermons you heard most of your life was all about behavior. You know, it was all about behavior modification. It was all about you're doing this wrong and you're doing that wrong. You need to get right or get left. You need to, you know, it's turn or burn. It's, it's all about all of those type of things because it's all about sin. But yet, you know, for some reason, and people always want to bring sin up to me. Well, well. The Bible still talks about sin. I'm like, yeah, Paul said, God's not counting your sin against you. So, I mean, the message, now, do people still sin? Does it lead to death? Does it lead to wrong decisions? Yes. All right. It's not that you just throw all that out. It's just from God towards us, sin is not an issue. God is not counting, imputing, holding men's sins against them. Now, us with each other, sin is an issue. That's why James says, confess your faults one to another. He doesn't even tell us to confess our faults to God. Why? Because God has forgiven us of all of our sins, removed them as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered again. When you bring your sin up to God, he's got amnesia. He's like, huh? He's like, what are you even talking about? Now, listen, if it feels good to you to bring it up to God, keep doing that. But the truth is, it doesn't change God towards you no matter how many times you tell him that you have sinned. No matter how many Hail Marys you do. No matter how many times you say, forgive me. Because most of the time, our sin is towards each other. And we actually need to work with each other. We need to repent to one another. We need to confess to one another. We need to make sure that our relationships are in the right place. That's where most of the sin is focused anyway. And think about this. James 1 says this. This hit me a few years ago. He says, he who knows the good that he should do and does not do it to him, it is sin. Notice it doesn't say to God it's sin. Whew. That, that, that one's going to hit you about a month from now, I promise you. <laughs> to him, it is sin. Not to God. But to me, it is sin because there's things I know that I should do. But when the whole focus is on sin, then the whole focus is all about the cross. And the cross is still important. Paul said, man, listen, this is one thing I preach, Jesus Christ and him crucified. It doesn't mean that that's less important. But the Eastern Church put more of a focus that they believe that the problem in the world wasn't as much a sin issue as it was a death issue. That... Isn't it interesting that when God tells Adam and Eve, don't eat of this tree, for if you eat of this tree, you'll what? You'll die. He doesn't say you'll sin. You'll die. So what Adam brought into this world by him believing the lie of the serpent was he allowed death to enter into the world, and what that produced in mankind was a fear of death. From that moment on, man became slaves to death. That's why God had to show up revealed in a human so that a human could experience death, rise from the dead to show us what, what can happen also with us as we are also resurrected with him. And that's why this incredible beauty of is the cross important? Yes. Are my sins forgiven? Absolutely. But when are your sins forgiven? I, I, I mess with people on this one all the time because most people believe that your sins got forgiven when you prayed a magical prayer when you walked down an aisle. According to Colossians chapter 2, he says that, uh, that, that when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, he quickened you, made you alive, and completely forgave you. So when did he forgive you? 2,000 years ago. You might have experienced it when you believed it and you prayed a prayer, but it was already true of you 2,000 years ago because when you were dead in your sin, he quickened you. Huh? I thought I didn't, quick, I thought I didn't quicken until I was in a service in the middle of the worship. I felt, I felt something. I, I got a Highlander quickening. Something, you know, lightning bolts came out of the sky. No, no. He said he quickened you, made you alive, and completely forgave you when you were still dead in your sin. So everything God did was completed and finished 2,000 years ago. Now, you still need to believe it for it to become a subjective reality in your life because if you don't believe it, then you never enjoy the benefits of it. 
We preach the gospel because we want people to enjoy life and not be slaves to death. And so here in this, in this passage, we see the difference between sons and slaves. Servants or slaves to death still walk in fear. Those that have a heart of sons, Jesus came to bring many sons to glory. I shared that a couple years ago. That word glory, doxa, is translated honor, value, worth, and approval. So Jesus came to let sons know. He didn't come to preach to the sinning people, but to the sonning people. He came to let them know that you're actually valuable. You're actually honored. I actually, I want you to know that I approve of you. I'm here to change the identity of how you view me. You see, Jesus didn't come to change God's mind about us. He came to change our mind about God. He didn't come to try to save the Father and change the Father's mind about wanting to fry all of us and beat the tar out of all of us. He came to change our mind about who God is because according to John 1.18, no man had seen God at any time until Jesus who came from the Father, revealed him. That means all through the Old Testament, nobody got God right till Jesus showed up. Jesus came to reveal something about God that had been misunderstood since the beginning. And I'm going to now turn a corner, go down this road, and then we'll land the plane. Are you all still here? Yeah. Are we doing all right? In Genesis 1, God reveals himself to creation as Elohim. Genesis 1.1, God created the heavens and the earth. Elohim, that's Lord, Master, Sovereign, King. So when God reveals himself to the planet, he calls himself Elohim. But in Genesis 2, when he creates Adam, mankind, I want you to know something, realize something. God did not create a white race. He didn't create a black race. He didn't create a brown race. He didn't create a, a yellow race, a red race. He created a human race. Amen. Right. Yep. See, see, this is some of the problems we're dealing with is because there's some people that view someone as another race rather than the same as they are. And so anytime you view someone that is less than you, then you can dehumanize, you can, you, you, can, you, can, you can all of a sudden euthanize, you can enslave, you can kill, you can have holocaust because they're less than you. But when you view every, every person as human race, I've, I've told people before, I said, my, my granddaughter, my granddaughter is, is part Mexican culture and part white culture. My son is close to being engaged to a young black girl. That means all my grandbabies are going to have some color. Hallelujah. They're going to be absolutely beautiful. Because there's something about when you put them together, they're the prettiest babies on the planet. I don't know what it is. Amen. Just are. But if I'm, I told my son, I said, son, if your mom and I are pushing our beautiful little, little, little black grandbaby in the mall and someone looks funny at us, you're going to have to pull me off them. So, so I'm gonna, I'm, or or if, they, if, they, if they look at me and say, oh, that's a biracial. I had someone say to me about my granddaughter, oh, she's biracial. I said, no, biracial, she's bicultural. Right. You know, such thing as biracial. You put two humans together, you get a human. Right. You might have different hues of the human. You might have different colors, but a human is a human. There's only one race. We're all God's offspring. See, the problem is, is when we divide these things up, and it has been nothing but a lie that has divided things, and it's caused, it's caused all the mess that we're in right now, and we've got to get back. Just the church. Listen, if just the church, we get back to teaching one race. You see, all of our us and them teaching, all of us people and those people, anytime we have an us and them mentality, rather than view everybody as a child of God, well, you're only a child of God if you pray a magical prayer. Well, then Paul was a complete liar preaching to, on Mars Hill in Acts 17. He's telling a bunch of pagans that they're all God's offspring. They're all his children, all his family, all of his kind. Jesus really messed up when he's teaching a bunch of unbaptized, unregenerate, pre-cross people. When they said, teach us how to pray, he said, when you pray, pray our father. He didn't say, pray my father. In other words, he's already your father. You just didn't know he was your father. Hallelujah. We doing all right this morning? Help me, Father. I'm having fun. Now watch this. In Genesis 2, when God creates Adam, Adam is not a man. Adam is mankind. It says he created them, male and female. 
So both men and women's name was Adam. Until the woman came out of the man and he named her Eve. So I'm not even sure that the first man's name was Adam. We might not even know his name. All we do know is mankind is called Adam. That's why Jesus is called the last mankind. The last Adam. Why? Because he did away with the first mankind and started over. He started a new creation. Woo! I want to run off right there, but I got to behave myself. Now watch. Got to stay focused. In Genesis 2, when he creates mankind, he does not call himself Elohim to them. Now, if you go to a concordance, it'll say Elohim. And anybody that's interested, I I can email you all of my source of this. It it wasn't until this last year, in December, I flew up to Colorado Springs to ordain a couple that's connected to us. And I had an older man come up to me at the close of the service, and he had written a little book. And he contacted me ahead of time, and he said, hey, uh, I'm going to come to the service. I always enjoy when you come to the area because he doesn't attend that church. And he said, but I'm going to bring you a signed copy of my book because this book came about a lot from a prophetic word you gave me like five years ago. And I was like, I mean, I didn't remember it at all. And so he comes up to me afterwards, and he had written this whole long thing at the beginning of his book. It was beautiful. And so he said, would you please read it maybe on your way home in the airplane? I'd really like your opinion. And so... I said, sure, it wasn't real long, and I read it on the airplane, but he brought out with sources, and this shifted. I literally, I called him on the phone when I landed, and I said, John, I'm going to preach this all over the world. I said, I I, I can't believe I'd never heard this. It's because it's actually more of an oral tradition passed down through Jewish culture for thousands of years. That's why it's not in any of our concordances. And Hebrew Orthodox people, actually teach this, that God did not reveal himself to mankind as Elohim, but Hashem Elohim. Now, the reason that's important is the Hebrew word for Hashem is like a family, uh, a family comfortable word, like, you know, auntie or uncle or cousin or mom or dad. It's literally, it's a word that deals more with someone you're familiar with and you have a relationship with. So when God reveals himself to creation, he's Elohim, Lord, Master, King, Sovereign. But when he reveals himself to mankind, he reveals himself as Father Elohim. Because the heart of God was that God always wanted a family. He wanted him to be a father, and he wanted a bunch of sons. He wanted a family. It's always been his heart is about family. And so then it made sense to me because I studied this years ago and I didn't know what to do with it. Remember back in the 90s, I did a series on the seven Hebrew words for praise. And one of the seven Hebrew words for praise is a Hebrew word called Barak. And this is before Obama, but uh, it's the Hebrew word Barak. And Barak is not only meaning praise, it means to bow It means to affirm. It means to worship. It means to serve. It's a position of lowliness. It's like when we worship and we bend on our knees and we bow before God. And God creates mankind. He reveals himself as Father, Sovereign God. But then in Genesis 3, he gives them what's called the dominion mandate. I call it the grace mandate because it's five things. He said, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it, and have dominion. But the first thing it says, it says, and God bless them. That means God blessed them before they did anything. He blessed them before any behavior. He blessed them before anything else. I'm convinced the reason a lot of people are never fruitful, they don't multiply, they don't subdue, they don't know how to have dominion, is because they first don't understand the blessing. But this word blessed there is the Hebrew word barak. So the first thing God does with his creation is he bows before them, he praises them, he affirms them, Let me tell you something. I remember when I first studied it, it messed with me. I'm like, no, no, wait a minute. This is God. 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 God doesn't bow before his creation. He's the creator. God God is God. And and then the Lord reminded me when I was studying this a couple years ago, and I think I mentioned this here one time. I was sitting in my office, and the Holy Spirit whispered to me one day. He said, you've been taught your whole life that the main purpose for man being on the planet is to serve God. I was like, well, yeah, that's what we're here for. We're here to serve his eternal purpose. And he said, but when God came in flesh in Christ, he came and served you. 
Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. And Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. That means the Father didn't come to be served. But he came to serve. The Creator washed creation's feet. I've got to be honest, I didn't even tell my wife for like two weeks because it felt blasphemous to me. It's like, I don't even know if I want to talk about this. What do, you, what do you mean God came to serve us? And then it hit me. Of course he did. Because what did Jesus come to reveal about God that was misunderstood? Father. I came to reveal the Father. Every parent serves their children. I have a five-year-old granddaughter that lives directly next door to us. She runs back and forth all day long between her house and our house. And she walks in the door and she does not serve us. I'll even ask her. We got, we got an extra refrigerator in the basement. And I said, baby, would you go down and get Papa a root beer? I mean, I, I still like my, I like my IBC, my old-time root beer. And she's all, no, I don't want to. You know, I, I mean, just she don't care. Hey, Papa, get me this. Papa, I want a strawberry. Papa, come sit here with me. I mean, we are serving her left and right. She's not serving us. So why would we think that if Jesus said that no matter how good of a father you think you are, you're still evil compared to the heavenly father as a father, that if, you, if your child asks you for bread, would you give him a stone? How much more the heavenly father? Well, you see, all through the Old Testament, there was no understanding hardly at all of God as father. There's some sprinkled in there, but the people didn't comprehend God as father because they saw him as someone they had to be afraid of. Some, this was a judge. This was a ruler. He was Zeus sitting on a throne with lightning bolts and a long beard. Someone they were to be terrified of. The sad thing is that's still a lot of people's view of God. And Jesus came to shift our view of God to not someone to be terrified of, but someone we can be intimate with. And you cannot be intimate with someone you're terrified of. It's impossible. Intimacy and fear are not, it doesn't happen. You can't feel, if you don't feel safe with someone, you can't be intimate with them. Well, you see, the first thing God does is God serves his creation. I'm still, my children are grown. I'm still paying for their meals. I'm still serving their destiny. Why? Because it's what we do as parents. We don't stop that just because they get to a certain age. The difference is this. Once they get to a certain age, we then also teach them to clean the room and mow the lawn. And then they also start serving us back. But the kingdom of God is not a kingdom of servants. It's a kingdom of sons who choose to serve. You see, there's a difference there. We're not a bunch of servants and slaves. We choose to serve because he served us. We serve him. We love him because he first all right. When a parent demonstrates that kind of love and servanthood to their children, then their children respond back in like manner because they've first been served and so then they serve. Amen. But you see, when our view of God is off and say, this is what happened in the fall and I'm going somewhere, I promise. Is this helping anybody? Yeah. Listen. Later on in Genesis 3, first thing God does is he bows. He gets in a position of servanthood, serving his creation. It's the Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. God's heart is for our good, not for our bad. That's, that's the heart of a father. Every father and parent wants their children to go further than them. Wants them to have good things in life, but a parent also knows they can't protect them from everything. And those kids are going to make some wrong decisions, and there's going to be some consequences because of those decisions. And we'll do everything we can to stop that, but we can't stop all of it. There's some things they're going to do because we are not there. But later on, the serpent shows up. And the serpent shows up and he says this, Has not Elohim said? He doesn't say Hashem. In other words, he got mankind to believe a lie about God. He shifts their thinking from God as father to God as master. God is sovereign. Someone you have to serve. Someone you have to be afraid of. And then he says, has not God said, if you eat of this tree, you'll be like God. What they should have said is we already are. We're already in the image and likeness of God. It was the, the original lie was a lie of identity to convince sons that they were no longer sons, but they were now orphans. And when mankind believed the lie and ate of the tree, it introduced something into the planet that had never been death. It produced also in mankind the fear of death. And so all of this mess took place 
because man believed a lie about who they were and who their father was. That is why, now listen close, I believe this is really going to help you. It is why in this season, I, I have a, a spiritual son, and he's just almost done with his first book. And, and the book, and I told him he's already got a, uh, he's making up t-shirts called hashtag Abbaology, and he's, he's already got a, uh, not a patent, what do they call it, a trademark, trademark on it. Because the book is called Going from Theology, which is a study of God, to Abbaology, which is understanding God as Father. You see, what Jesus came to do is to get us back to the original intent. Do you realize that from, the, from Adam believing the lie up until Jesus, everything you read in the Old Testament is written through the mindset of slaves trying to comprehend a master. Man, this has been helping me. Now I can begin to realize that they, they believe God told them to do some stuff that we know when Jesus shows up actually goes against the actual character of who God is and who Jesus is. I mean, I mean, God gives Elijah authority to call down fire from heaven on a sacrifice, but then he starts calling down fire on people. God never gave him authority to call down fire on people, but then he blames God. He says, God said to do this. But then Jesus shows up, and James and John get a little ticked off because a couple cities aren't listening to Jesus, and they say, why don't we call fire down from heaven and wipe everybody out? And Jesus looks at him in shock saying, huh? These aren't the days of Elijah. These are the days of Jesus. He's like, you don't understand. You misunderstood. Elijah did that because when God gives a gift, he don't take it away, and God gave him a gift and an anointing, and he, out of fear, used it wrong. See, if I don't understand that, because the father would never call down fire on his kids. But if I believe he's only a master, he's a judge. You see, the Old Covenant and the Old Testament, what it produces in people is a judicial mindset. That's why whenever you talk to people, people are like, well, but God's justice. Don't you know that God's justice has to be served. It's like, well, wait a minute. You, you, you get to the Old Testament, and the prophet says this. He says, true justice, which means God justice, is mercy and compassion. You see, our idea of justice and God's idea of justice is not the same thing. Our idea is retribution. Our idea is if someone's hurt us, we're going to hurt them back, because that's what the law said. Moses said, listen, man, an eye for an eye. If someone punches you, knock their behind out. But Jesus shows up in the Sermon on the Mount, and he said, you've heard said, Moses said this, but Daddy and I, we never said that. Daddy and I say, love your enemies. In other words, he, he doesn't just reinterpret, he gives the polar opposite opinion. Why? Because that was an opinion from a son. Moses' opinion was one from a slave. It doesn't mean that God didn't want it written down. It doesn't mean it's not important. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't read it, but we should read it in the light of understanding that we're interpreting it through the lens of seeing God through the eyes of a slave to death and a slave to fear compared to a son who has not overcome death because when he rose, we rose. And we have nothing to be afraid of. Even if we die, we're good. Because see, our problem is we view death as final. That's why we, we struggle. We struggle struggle thinking about people that have passed over. I, I, I've talked to so many people, and they're afraid to tell people. But they've actually had family members that have died who they've had conversations with after they died, and they knew they did. And they're afraid to tell anybody because that's necromancy. It's like, well, no, wait a minute. Necromancy is communing with the dead, but nobody's died for 2,000 years. Y'all still here? You doing all right? <laughs> Under the old covenant, they went and slept with their fathers. No one's died now for 2,000 years. As they're from the body, present with the Lord. And that means the just and the unjust. Because Paul even tells us everybody's going to stand before God. The wicked and, and the righteous. The just and the unjust. Whether you're a believer or an unbeliever. Everybody's going to stand before God. Period. Period. Now, whether that is someday off in the future or the moment you die. I believe it's the moment you die. People want to argue with that. The truth is none of us really know. Uh, it's just really not that important. All you do need to know is absent from the body, present with the Lord. Because when he was resurrected, you were resurrected. And so all we read through the Old Testament, you see, the mindset many times of people is we're still viewing God through the lens of Job. 
We're still seeing God as this, this old man sitting on a throne. And he's sitting at a judgment seat with a gavel. Jesus is seated at the right hand. He's our heavenly lawyer. He's litigating on our behalf. The devil is on the left side. He's the prosecuting attorney. Matter of fact, I mean, there's whole teachings right now that, that are saying you've got to go into the courts of heaven to get all this stuff. And you go in and, and you, know, you make sure that Jesus is rebuking the devil. Listen, the problem with that is we're now in a new covenant. We're on this side of the cross. And there's a few problems with that. Number one, the devil's not there because he was cast out a long time ago. So you ain't got to worry about him accusing the saints there anymore because he was already cast out. He don't have access there. He's been spoiled once and for all, dealt with. His works have been rendered powerless. Not only that, but 1 John tells us that when we have issues, when we sin, when we mess up, we have an advocate, a lawyer, not with the judge, but with the Father. We are not coming into a courtroom. We're coming into the living room. And it's our daddy. Is our daddy a judge? Yes. But how many of you know if your daddy's the judge, the trial's rigged? Because a father's heart is always going to be for your good. It's going to be restorative and not, not, not punitive. It's always going to be a, a heart that wants what's best for you. There's a reason why in our culture a sitting judge cannot be a sitting judge if it's one of his family members that is being tried because he's going to be biased. But you see, if that's our view of God, and our view of God is here's this angry deity, and he really wants to mess us up, man. He wants to get us, and he wants to get us good. And Jesus is there saying, no, Daddy. please Remember, Daddy. Remember what I did. Don't see them, Daddy. See me. Remember, Daddy. Now you got to look through me because if you see them, all you are is ticked off at them. Even though you're made in his image and likeness, he actually, you know, Martin Luther said that all we are is snow-covered dung. Did you know you were just a piece of poo? Isn't that beautiful? Use that in your evangelism, you piece of poop. Until you accept Jesus, you're still a piece of poop, but you're just snow-covered poop. Famous Calvinists alive today have said that all we are, Jesus is our asbestos suit that protects us against the white, hot, fiery wrath of God. Because all God wants to do is fry your behind. Because he can't stand you. Because obviously, I want you to think about this a minute. If someone deceived your child into believing something about you that's not true and something about themselves that's not true, would your anger be at your child or the deceiver? Why have we bought a lie that God has just been ticked off at humanity? Jesus came to destroy the works of the one that held the power of death that is the devil. What, who did he come to deal with? Sin, death, and the devil, not humanity. His heart has always been for his children, passionate about us. That's why Jesus showed up and he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He showed up and he tells us, he said, when you pray, pray our Father. He said, in my Father's house are many rooms. That in our hearts, the spirit of adoption has us crying out, Abba, Father, Hashem, Daddy. He's getting us back to the original intent. And the original intent is a father having a relationship with his family. Not someone I'm to be terrified of. Not someone I should think that every time I mess up, he's going to whoop my behind. But someone who's going to be there out of an incredible heart of love. You see, when that is our Mindset, a mindset of a parent is to bow before their children. It's to pick them up and say, you're amazing. You're awesome. You're handsome. You're beautiful. There's nothing you can't do. Why? Because we affirm our children. Why would we think if we do that, that Heavenly Father wouldn't be better at it than we are? You see, when our view of God is messed up and we're still looking through the lens of a slave, we're looking through the lens of someone who's been in bondage rather than through the lens of a son. You see, that's why Jesus shows up and he hears the father boom from heaven and says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And he's led by the spirit into the wilderness. And the first thing the serpent says to him when he comes to him, he says, if you are the son, you see, the serpent's wise. He knew if it worked with the first Adam, it'll probably work with the last Adam. 
He messes with his identity. I love Jesus' response. Jesus looks at him and says, this might have worked with the first guy, but it's not working with me. I know who I am. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I am who my Father says I am, and you are not going to deceive me into believing what he believed because I'm here to undo everything you did. I'm here to remove from you the fear of death and to see that Hashem is a good father. We sing it, but do we believe it? Do we believe that the heart of God is a desire to serve the destiny of his family? And can we see every human as his child, even our enemies? See, the truth is, regardless of color of your skin, regardless of culture, regardless of tongue, regardless of tribe, God looks down and he sees. There's a reason Jesus came. Paul tells us Jesus came to remove all the middle walls of partition. He came to remove everything that divides us so that there be no longer Jew nor Greek, black nor white, male nor female. He came, and yet we still function with a mindset of divide. We still function with a mindset of us and them. It's always a mindset. We don't see humanity as family. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes. Until we can see every human as valuable, until we can see every human as honorable, Yeah, but you don't know what they did to me. That's a reality, and that's true, but they're still one of God's children. That's why I loved, man, I loved, if you've not watched the movie, The Shack, you need to go watch it at least two or three times. Incredible depiction of the Godhead. But Mac is standing before justice, and justice looks at him, and he shows him a picture, shows him a picture of of a man who is harming a child. And he said, can you forgive him? And he said, no. And then he showed him that the child was his dad who did the same thing to him. Then he shows him a picture of the man who was harming his daughter, and he killed her. And he said, can you forgive him? He said, absolutely not. And he said, well, he's, he's Abba's child too. See, I've been hearing everybody say all of this issue, especially the last couple of weeks, it's all a sin problem. Can I just submit to you? It's not a nature problem. It's a nurture problem. I believe it's an issue of someone's nature. Prejudice is nurtured into people. Children watch how their parents respond. They watch rolling the eyes. They hear the little off-cuff statements. They hear the little things. that, that Those things are nurtured into us. We become it. But the reason that most people are a mess, it's because they got nurtured somewhere. They got molested. They got raped. They got hurt. They got harmed. What we do is we judge the fruit, and we never ask the root. We immediately see what someone does and we don't ask them how they got there because a lot of people are acting out of their hurt and their pain, but they're still God's child even if they harmed you. Jesus still died for them just like he died for you. Jesus loves them just like he loved you. That's why I'm convinced of this and I'm going to stop. We have produced in America, especially, the American church, we produced more Biblians than we have Christians. Because there's people that will follow the Bible to a T and miss the heart of Jesus. It's like we took the Christ out of the equation. Because if you're using the Bible to beat someone over the head, you've completely missed what it means to be a Christian. Because Jesus never used the scriptures to be accusatory. Satan is the accuser. That means if you're using the Bible to accuse people, you just became Satan. That's not the purpose of it. God's heart is always redemptive. His heart is, I am Father, and I want to reveal to you that I'm a good Father. And if you will just allow me to remove from you the old orphan and slave mentality. This is how simple the gospel's gotten to me in the last couple of years. And then I'll stop. Imagine you've lived 70 years on the planet as an orphan. You've lived as an orphan. You've lived in the pig pen. You, your life has been one problem after another. You've been in and out of all kinds of mess and sin and issues. And at 70 years old, someone informs you that you actually aren't an orphan. You've had a father the whole time, and that father was seeking you. He was searching for you, but 
You never met that father. And that father actually not only loved you and cared for you, but he left $20 million in an account to take care of you and take care of your family, to bless you with everything you need for life and godliness. But you lived 70 years as an orphan and the whole time you were a son, but you just didn't know it. You see, the gospel is not a presentation of your dirty, rotten, filthy, stinking, nasty sinner. God can't stand you and wants to throw you into hell. The gospel is, is that you're a son who doesn't know you're a son and you're living like an orphan when you don't have to. That's why Paul tells us that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them. And then Paul tells us this, and um, over this quarantine, I've started to put this into a book. But Paul tells us this. He says, there's a mystery that's been hidden from the ages. I don't know about you, but when I read something in the Bible and it says it's a mystery that has been hidden from the ages. I don't know why. I don't know if I've heard more than one sermon on that passage my whole life. And he said, the mystery hidden from the ages is a mystery to Gentiles. What are Gentiles? People that were not a part of the covenant. And the mystery to Gentiles is Christ in you. The hope of honor, value, worth, and approval. Notice, not Christ to you. Christ in you. So what's the mystery? The mystery is he's above all, through all, and in all. The mystery is he's always been in you. You just didn't know it because you had a veil over your mind. And until you turn to Christ, the veil isn't removed and the Christ in you. That's why Paul on the Damascus Road, when he's talking about his Damascus Road conversion, he says, on that Damascus Road, Christ was revealed in me, not to me. I used to stand before people and say, you're you're sitting here in this service this morning and you've got a hole in your heart. You need to invite Jesus into your heart. Not one verse in the Bible ever says you got to invite Jesus into your heart. It says, believe in your heart. See, I'm, I'm becoming more and more convinced the older that I get. It's not about getting Jesus into people. It's about revealing Jesus in people. Because even before you ever prayed a prayer, you know God was talking to you. I, I've sat and talked with so many people. They're like, you know what? Before I knew anything about God, I was going down this road, and all of a sudden something inside me said, don't go down that road. And I found out later that a bunch of people died in a car accident. Why? Because he was always revealing himself to you. You just didn't know it. That's why the mystery that was hidden from the ages is Christ in, and the Greek actually says, in and among all of us. That's why we don't preach to the sin in people, we preach to the son in people. That's what Jesus was amazing at. Zacchaeus, I must come to your house. He didn't say, hey, you filthy, rotten little heathen, you're going to hell in a handbasket, you've been ripping people off, you need to repent and get down here right now. Jesus wasn't a street preacher. Jesus' response is, I see a son in you. I see value in you. I see honor in you. I see worth in you. And I'm going to treat you like a son. That's why I can't treat any human as less than. Any human, regardless of their background, regardless of what they look like, smell like, what they have, what they don't have, the color of their skin, we have to view everybody this same way. Why? Because that's the heart of Abba. The heart of Abba is I've come to speak to a bunch of sons, to let them know they have value and worth and they no longer need to fear death and they no longer need to be slaves. But they can now enjoy intimacy, relationship, and fellowship. What would happen if we would spend more of our time revealing Christ in people rather than trying to force them Invite him in. That's one of the things I should have put in my book. I didn't. I wish I would have now. That should have been one of the myths. Oh, but you got to make Jesus Lord of your life. Scripture and verse. Jesus is Lord whether you make him Lord or not. Jesus, Jesus is Lord. It's about who he is, not who you are. Lordship is about relationship. It's about a submission to his authority. It's about saying, Father, thank you for removing death from me. I now believe this in my heart. I confess it with my mouth so that sozo can manifest in my life. Wholeness, healing, deliverance, protection, salvation. I'm not doing this so I can get from one place to another. 
I'm not waiting to go to heaven. I don't go to heaven after I die. I went to heaven when you died. Because when he died, we all died. When he was raised, we were all raised. When he was seated, we were all seated. That was taken care of 2,000 years ago. But if you don't know it, then you never live the ascended life. And you live a life in sin when you don't have to. That's why it's called good news. That's like really good news. It's really good news to find out you're not an orphan. You're actually a son. And you have an amazing Abba. You have a Hashem that wants good for you, that has a heart to serve your destiny and your purpose. He's a good father that's sitting on a throne of grace and mercy. You're not coming into the courtroom. You're coming into the living room. And daddy will in no wise cast you out. He's saying, climb up on my lap. Climb up under my wings. Climb up and be seated with me in joy relationship. God did not come to change. Jesus didn't come to change the Father's mind about us. He came to change our mind about the Father. Because we had it messed up. We were alienated from God in our minds. That's why Jesus showed up and preached repent. Metanoi, change your mind so you can see correctly. So I want to encourage you guys in this season Obviously, be wise. God God wants you to live as long as your purpose is fulfilled on this planet. So obviously, be wise. Don't be stupid about stuff. I'm not saying, hey, just live this carefree. I ain't got nothing to worry about. Listen, be smart, okay? But don't fear death. It's not a finality. It's not a thing that we should be terrified of. Paul actually said, I'm caught betwixt. It's better for me that I go, better for you that I stay. Paul's like, listen, man, graduating to the next dimension is a good thing. It's not anything he's afraid of. He said, I don't want you to be afraid of it. When your loved ones cross, don't don't be afraid. Stop with all the fear because fear cripples. Fear destroys. But perfect love removes all fear. By your heads a moment, would you? Father, I thank you today. Lord, I thank you that, I thank you for the cross. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for your ascension. Thank you that you didn't do that alone, according, according to Romans chapter 1, that uh, when you resurrected, that Greek word is the resurrected ones, that you didn't resurrect by yourself, that you resurrected humanity. You started over. You started fresh. The last Adam breathed fresh life into a new Adam. You breathe your essence that now your sons and daughters live in you and move in you and have our being in you, but we don't even know it. And we need the good news declared to us that we do live and move and have our being with you even if we don't acknowledge you, that your heart is passionately seeking us, whether we're seeking you or not, that you have already paid for everything that we would need for this life. But I ask that you remove the slave's mentality, the servant's mentality, the, 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 the bondage mentality, and that our heart to serve is only from the heart of a son who is secure in our identity so that we no longer fear death. Thank you for all that you've done all that you're still yet to do. I ask for everybody that's listening and will listen to this message uh, through the camera, that, Father, you would remove in this season this, this fear of death, that we can have an assurance that when we simply believe in our heart and we confess Jesus has risen from the dead, that confession, there's a sealing in us and a belief that what is true becomes a reality. Teach us that. Show us that. Let it be real in our own hearts and minds. It's real from you towards us, but it needs to now be real from us back towards you as we believe. We'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name.